Um, hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Regin Paul James, and I'm from the Department of Computer Science and Engineering. I graduated in December. Um, my voice will be a little, I have a sore throat, so I hope you can hear everything. So um, this, I'm, uh, I will talk about an application for keeping track of food item expiration. Um, this was part of my master's thesis that I did under Dr. Younes. So special thanks to Dr. Michael Younes. He's the department chair of computer science and engineering. And um, so about myself, uh, I'm originally from India. Um, I came here to do my master's in computer science. I graduated in December, and I'm currently working as a software developer in Factory Systems. It's a company in downtown. Um, I'm a soccer enthusiast, and I love technology, uh, mobile applications, etc., everything. <laughs> so um, in my presentation, I'll briefly go about talking you know, about the introduction, the problem, uh, what it, the problem is, and what motivated me to go, um, go about making an application. And I named it Fridge Buddy. Um, and it's, it was a prototype by the time it was out. And uh, there were limitations. Um, and there, were, there is a lot of scope for future work. So food, as everyone knows, it's very essential for surviving. Um, I mean, everyone needs food every day. They need nutrition. Um, it plays a vital role in maintaining health. You know, prevention and cure of diseases, it is very important. But in spite of all this, we still waste food. There are, um, as there are lots of statistics about it. Um, I got this from the National Resources Defense Council. So it says that food consumed versus food loss. <clears throat> so there is um, like a 38, if you can see there are a lot of statistics and the most startling statistic is that 40% of all food in the United States goes uneaten. So that is like a lot. And in terms of money, it is around $165 billion. So that's the amount of food that is wasted each year. So again, we see that you know, um, there, there is more statistics that um, in 1974, there were 900 calories per, per person. Um, people used to consume, and then uh, there was food, food waste. It's the number of calories um, that the food is wasted. So earlier it was 900, now it's around 1,400 calories. And it's equivalent to two, you know, all those statistics. And uh, food waste in USA accounts for more than one-fourth of all freshwater consumption. And it's equivalent to 300 million barrels of oil every year. So that's a very remarkable statistic. And so that's the problem. So the problem is how do we stop food wastage? How do we prevent it? Or at least how do we minimize it? So households... Uh, food wastage can be prevented. Um, there, there is food wastage in commercial facilities like um, restaurants. There, there is food wastage. Um, but in households, uh, it's the first step to prevent food wastage. It'll be easier. Um, so I thought of designing an application that prevents food wastage. So, the, so more motivation was that you know, there are economic benefits, there are social benefits, and there are environmental benefits as well. So economic benefits um, include reduce over-purchasing. Um, there are lower disposal costs. Um, then the social benefits are, you know, with, uh, usually if we waste food, food goes waste. 
Um, lots uh, people. There are lots of people who are hungry and you know who don't get food. So uh, we, if we preserve our food, we can also feed other people. And there are environmental benefits. We can reduce landfills. So my application is was is called Fridge Buddy. It's an Android application. So uh, in mobile uh, applications, there are iPhone applications and Android applications, and now there are Windows mobile applications as well. So um, this is uh, just like uh, the design for it, and it just has technical details. But um, I'm using a web service that gets the um, barcode information. So I'll just explain as it goes. So this is um, the prototype. I mean, I've not worked too much on it. So at first, your, uh, the application looks, uh, it is it's supposed to show a list of items. So at first, the application uh, tells you, OK, you can add an items. You can um, change your settings, or um, you can quit. So um, the settings include enabling notifications. So what the application does is that once we store um, food items into the application and we give it a date um, and a time of expiry, um, then what happens is um, it comes up with automatic notifications into the mobile. So it'll tell you that, okay, there are three days left for your eggs to expire or your milk to expire. So you'll know, okay, this, will, this item is going to expire. And it's right in your mobile. Mobile. So you know you use your cell phones daily, and you're like, oh, okay. There's a notification. I need to use use my food up, otherwise it'll go waste. So you, uh, it comes up with notifications. You can um, enable notifications. You can set the number of days before an item notification shows up. Say you want it, want the food item, um, the date of expiry to show up like three days before or four days before. You can set that limit. Um, you can also remove it from the list automatically, so that once it's expired, like after four days. The, the item will go off, away from the application. So there are a few apps in the market um, that are there. But the special thing about my application is that um, I can scan the barcode of, of all the products. So nowadays, in all, almost all food items, there's a, bar, a unique barcode. So I can use my application to scan the barcode of the product. So automatically, the name pops up onto that screen. It says, OK, the item name is this. It actually gets it from a database that is online. It's an open source database that is available online. You can add more items to it. Um, you can send requests that, OK, I, this item is missing from it. You can add this. So um, then the other feature, feature is scanning the date. So I've, I'm using a technology known as optical character recognition. So in most of the um, food items, there's an expi expiry date. So you can scan it using your uh, mobile phones. Um, so that so the date will automatically pop up here, um, and then uh, you can kind of se uh, set, uh, submit it. So I'll show you the steps. So this this application, um, if you can see, there's a red line. It's the barcode scanner. So I try to scan the bar barcode of um, you know that was a ketchup I had. So I just try to scan the barcode. So next it says that okay it found the product. So when it it found it finds it reads the barcode. Then it sends to the database. So then when I get it back, um, it comes up with the name automatically. So it kind of saves you a lot of time. If you have like you know, 10, 20 items to scan, you, you should not like type it. And it'll take a long time to do that. So this kind of speeds up your process. And uh, the next part is scanning the date using an optical character recognition. So you can actually, it's, um, the, um, if you can see the square, it's actually adjustable. You can uh, increase the size, decrease the size. 
and it tries to scan. It's not fully optimized, so it tries to perform the recognition, and sometimes, um, since the date, it's a little blurry, so sometimes it's not that. It needs a lot of training to be done, so that, that's what I was talking about um, when I was saying that it has a little, certain limitations, but it is possible to you know, enhance. And once that comes up, the date shows up um, onto the app as well, this main screen as well, and then you can click Submit, and then it goes there onto the, um, this list of items. So it, it has a green symbol. It is color-coded. So green says it says 500 days to expire. So green means it's good. And uh, yellow means it's, it's about to expire soon. Red means it's critically, you know, like you have two days left or three days left. So um, if you see, this is like a larger list in which um, you have like so many items. It says, okay, your fish will expire in two days. And when it is expired, it'll show okay expired, uh, etc. So you can sometimes if, if the notifications are not come notifications usually come up, and sometimes if you want to take take a look at the list and if you think that okay I finished this item, you can click on it and you can delete it off, all that. Um, so this is how a notification comes up in in your Android screen. If you see if you just swipe down, a notification says that okay your item is about to expire. Um, it has a weird name because um, it came from the database. Um, so that's how the sample notification comes up. And that is what my application does, in short. <laughs> in, uh, and um, so I used uh, Android um, for uh, developing this application. And it, it uses two um, libraries that are already open source libraries which helped me. So one is called OCR library, which helped me with the optical character recognition. So um, the thing with optical character recognition is that it needs to be trained. So a lot of training images have to be um, passed to it, and it has to be trained. And once the en engine is well trained, it can then recognize different kinds of texts. So that is uh, one of the limitations of OCR. But uh, once it's trained, it's really good. So I couldn't get it to train much, so that's why I couldn't um, recognize the date properly. Um, then it's uh, the other one is Zing. Um, it is a barcode um, scanning open source um, a library. Um, so that helped me to scan the barcode. So that's how I was able to integrate that application. So when you talk about, when we uh, talk about limitations and future work, um, when I presented uh, this in my defense. Uh, my professors, they told me that we could add another feature that is um, like, you know, if you're scanning for a food item, um, if you're going out shopping, and if you're scanning for a food, if you scan a barcode, and it automatically this app um, says that, oh, you already have a product at your home already. So you don't need to buy like two milk um, packets if you already have it at home and it's not expired. So something like that. Um, and um, so that would have been a very good feature. Uh, and there were several other um, enhancements that we can do to it. And so it requires future work, such as we need to train the optical character recognition engine. Um, better uh, user interface. It doesn't look that user-friendly right now, but we can do um, change it. And, um, and for nowadays, I think uh, there are as many iPhone users as Android users. So an application for iPhone would also um, be a very good thing, then it can reach maximum people. So that's it.
will we have questions now or at the end? <laughs> Was your um, project really mainly the development of it? Did you do any user testing of it at all? Um, I kind of did everything myself. So you mean testing as in give it to someone and no, I couldn't, I didn't do that. There was no, no part of it. Um, it was a master's thesis, so I just developed it and I just tested it myself. It, it never went out into the real world to see how it, you know, helps out. Yes? What do you see in terms of next steps for the project in terms of adding things to make it uh, more motivating for users to use, you know, like I'm thinking about yeah, I mean, they can, uh, we can maybe come up with like this. Nowadays, everything is about, you know, social, um, you know, they're like, everybody likes, okay, we are getting points for this. And so, yeah, if, if uh, in the future, like if um, someone is, you know, they're sponsoring this application and they are willing to maybe, you know, for these many points, you get some card or something. So that, that might be helpful, but um, I'm not sure how we'll validate whether, you know, they actually did not waste food or, or they are, like, adding the food and deleting it automatically. But, yeah, that, that can be a motivational factor. Yes? Do you think of any um, ways that you might link the app to other sort of outside services, like maybe a food bank or something? So yes. Um, food is getting close to expiration or options. To, of like things to do with the food? Oh yeah, I mean, I didn't think about that, but that's a very good idea. I mean, it's a, you know, we can like, um, if, uh, so one of the things with the application, I think what I thought of was that if suppose you have like lots of food that is going to expire soon and uh, you know, you can't use all of it up. So maybe you could, you know, donate to a food bank. So that, that can, uh, I think, yeah, that's a good, good choice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That is an, another application that that is already there. So I yeah, that's a good idea. We can maybe integrate that feature as well. Yeah. It, that, that's a lot. Uh, you know, there is a lot of scope um, in this application that can be done and implemented. I was also wondering if it um, categorizes the foods at all once they're entered, or if they're just, are they all in one list? Um, they are all in one list, but um, even a, yeah, a category feature can be added to it such that, you know, um, you can add different categories to it, and it's, it doesn't have it right now, but it is possible, it is possible, yes. And I think that is one of the points that my professors also put up. Um, they said that if uh, categories could be used, it would be easier to, you know, go through the list than rather than an, like an entire huge list. Yeah. Do you know if there's technology out there that's small barcode scanners? Because I, I remember a long time ago there was some company that was doing it before mobile phones. It was like a pen that you would scan stuff in your kitchen to make a grocery list. But they talked about having a little scanner on the or on your garbage can. So when you threw things away, you could scan it as you're throwing it away. So then then your app would know, like, oh, the milk was about to expire, and you got rid of it, you know, so. Oh. But I don't know if there is technology that, you know, could clip on a barcode scanner, you know, to your okay. trash can or not. But even but being able to scan and pick along, 
Yeah, instead of searching to find it. Yeah. Yeah, but um, you're saying uh, taking the, once the food has expired, taking the item off the list? Yeah, it, there is a feature that can automatically, you know, take it off once it's expired. But no, 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 no. Okay. So what happens yeah. is that you can set a number of days, let's say you can set like remove the item from the list uh, two days after expiry or something like that and automatically goes from the but list. I'm thinking like if you have a whole pantry of food and mm -hmm. milk and stuff like that, you'd sort of have, if you kept everything in your list, you'd have to go through it every day. It'd be kind of burdensome as opposed to just like scanning the cans or the milk. Oh, okay. Stuff. You mean, you mean, okay, just scan the milk and see whether it's there. In the list. Oh, take it off. Yeah, I think that can be done. That can be done too. It's the same. It's just another functionality. If you can scan to, you know, get the names. After scanning, you can like, you know, throw a function or throw something that says, okay, delete this item. That is also possible. Yeah, that's a good idea, though. You mean once you've consumed the food before it expires? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's a very good idea. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, uh, thank you all for being here this afternoon. I'm going to talk to you about um, some ongoing pilot work that I'm doing right now to test commercially available iPhone apps and physical activity monitoring devices to promote healthy eating and physical activity in families. So uh, approximately one in three children in the U.S. is overweight or obese, and this puts them at greater risk for future health complications and future weight gain. Um, experts recommend an integrated approach to um, treating and preventing um, childhood obesity, including an integration of healthy eating and physical activity habits, um, and including the whole family in the treatment um, for obesity. And Child-parent uh, relationships have been shown to be very important for overall development, but also specifically for health behaviors. And um, parent-child communication, which we'll come back to in a minute, is very important, especially um, about health behaviors, but even overall quality of the relationship. There have been a variety of settings used um, to prevent and treat childhood obesity, including clinics, homes, um, media campaigns, like the VERB campaign, but we're interested also in how technology might be added to this list as another delivery method or delivery setting for some of these interventions. So why technology? Um, technology has a few distinct advantages over some of the traditional approaches that we've used. So one is that using technology and games, apps, devices could be um, an engaging way to get children excited and interested in changing behaviors um, in a way that maybe a paper intervention is not, doesn't have the same appeal. Um, phones and um, devices are also very portable and very ubiquitous, so most people um, have at least a cell phone at this point in the U.S. Um, almost all adults do, and a lot of people have smartphones, so um, the, the portability and affordability are a very large benefit. Um, again, we can use gaming elements through apps and devices that are not really available in other types of intervention settings, and that can be very motivating um, for people to change their behavior. And we're also um, curious if 
using this technology could help increase and um, maybe improve some of the health communication between children and parents because it has become such a fixture in daily life. So um, the iTunes market is still barely larger than the Android market, but it is still larger. Um, there are about 1.5 million apps in the iTunes market. Um, the last, last figure I saw was 1.2 in the Android market, so um, over a million in each of these repositories, which is pretty impressive, um, but also can make finding apps that work a very daunting task. So um, app use is growing as well. Obviously, with the number of apps increasing, um, people are trying out new apps, and um, a recent survey found that the average person has 44 apps on their phone. So um, people are downloading a lot of apps. And while children may not have their own smartphone, um, of parents who use apps, 57% of them report that they download apps specifically for their child to use. Smartphones are um, also growing. The usage of them is growing very rapidly in especially the 12 to 17-year-old market. Um, the average age of getting a first phone is around 12. And in the last few years, the number of children in that demographic um, has tripled the number of people who have smartphones as opposed to cell phones. So it's growing very rapidly and at a younger age than many people realize. Um, and lastly, smartphones are used by a very diverse population here in the U.S., and the usage is growing at a much uh, more rapid pace in um, African-American and Latino populations. So contrary to a popular belief that maybe technology is a, a dividing factor in uh, access to information, in the case of smartphones, we're actually not seeing the same sort of digital divide that we saw with other types of technology. So as I mentioned, there are many apps, over a million, available um, in the iTunes store. And there are quite a few that are um, sort of based on health promotion principles or from the, from the outlook um, appear to be health promoting. And there's really very little known about how well these actually work to help change behavior. Um, we um, recently con uh, conducted the first systematic review of iTunes apps for healthy eating, physical activity, and weight loss, and found that um, uh, about 35% of them had any mention of um, evidence-based practices, so more than half of them had no evidence base in the apps. Um, there's also very little known about family preference um, or the efficacy of these apps. So we know pretty clearly that there's not much um, of the expert recommendations being used in the apps, but we still don't really know what families actually like about the apps, or they might work even though they don't use what we think they should be using. Um, so a last sort of piece of the background here is that um, as I mentioned, the quality of family communication, especially between parents and children, um, has a large impact on the, the uh, establishment and maintenance of health behaviors throughout adolescence. And um, experts are trying to move from a traditional model of, of communication, which has looked at mostly at top-down communication, so parents conferring information to children, to try to better understand bi-directional communication and uh, technology might be a way that um, also promotes this type of bi-directional communication where children 
um, A, are often ahead of their parents in the curve of adapting and, um, new technologies, but also have a, the option to push messages back and forth. So we're um, interested in how these, these technologies might impact family communication. So in this pilot study, we had um, the, a, few a few aims. The primary aim was to test the efficacy, usability, and acceptability of some of these commercially available apps for the iPhone, but also to test um, some physical activity monitoring devices that um, have accompanying apps or other types of resources along with them. We also wanted to test the feasibility of recruiting and retaining parent-child dyads into this sort of intervention to determine the satisfaction of parents and children with these commercially available resources and to explore um, how parents and children currently communicate about health behaviors and how um, participating in this brief intervention may or may not impact that communication. Um, there were two phases. One is ongoing right now that I'll be discussing of this intervention. And the first phase we recruited, um, well, in the end, an N of one dyad, but recruitment was from the general community um, where the parent was overweight and owned an iPhone or iPad. The child was between the ages of 9 and 12. Um, this age range was selected because this is the um, time when the largest declines in physical activity are seen during adolescence. And um, both had to be free of chronic disease, no tobacco use, and willing and able to participate in physical activity. So the phase one intervention was a four-week mobile-based um, program to test um, a variety of different apps for healthy eating and physical activity, as well as the iBits um, physical activity tracker. And the tracker syncs with Bluetooth to an app, and it's currently the only um, device where there's a version for a parent and a version for a child, um, or for adults and children. And then there are also proprietary apps that are specifically for parents and children. So um, I guess this one doesn't work, but this is the app the, what the interface looks like for a child. So as they take steps, their spaceship moves along through outer space and they can see new planets. Um, and there's a section where they can request that their parents set goals for them. And when they achieve those goals, the parent and child can choose a reward that they want to be given to the child. So um, it can be a, a real life reward. Um, and in the case of the dyad that participated in this, I'll come back to this, but they ended up setting um, rewards of about three to 5,000 steps, and the child was given 10 minutes of screen time for those rewards. Um, in the middle here is a view of um, what the parent can see. So these are all different units. So this was from mine where I was tracking what all the participants were doing. But this is a view where the parent can um, keep track of what the, the child's number of steps and then um, they can talk about a little bit more about the progress so you don't have to log into different accounts. And then this far side is what the parent saw um, and that wheel spun around and it has a variety of information. But one thing to note here that is um, definitely a benefit of this particular interface is that the parents have a lot more information that you may or may not really want a child to be exposed to or really fixating on, like 
um, calories and BMI, and so theirs was much more focused on um, a very simplistic sort of game interface with um, steps and those sort of motivating factors while the parents had uh, a whole different set of data. So that's really why this um, interface is very unique. The uh, dyads also received a weekly newsletter that had a set of new apps for them to download each week. So they got one to two um, healthy eating and one to two physical activity apps to try out each week. And they recorded their ratings of the apps um, on worksheets throughout the study. So a few of them were, um, this one on the bottom left here is Smash Your Food, which um, spins around a wheel of junk food, has the child guess the content of the junk food, and then it smashes it and makes lots of gross sound effects and <laughs> um, then tells them what's really in the junk food. And um, the middle one is a new app called NFL Play 60, where the child actually has to move to move the character. Um, and it's very hard to actually cheat the, cheat the app. You really need to move. And you get chased by a football player. So <laughs> it's um, kind of dramatic. But, um, and then the, the far right one there is Easy Eater, where you get points um, in a virtual world for eating healthy food. And um, it keeps, you can have an account for each of your family members to track who's doing well and who's eating their vegetables. So um, one of the, the hardest parts of phase one was the recruitment challenges were um, very difficult. We recruited for um, quite a few months and um, had some interest, but overall um, enrollment was very low. So um, using a variety of methods, we had 29 responses to our online recruitment um, screening survey. Five dyads were eligible and one enrolled. So um, for phase two, we made some changes to the recruitment. And um, one of them was that we changed the um, device, the, the phone requirement. So we thought that maybe we were being um, constricted by only using iPhones and iPads. Um, some new adopters of smartphones are going towards the Google phone, the Android platform, because they tend to be a little bit less expensive. So we opened up that requirement. We also got rid of the weight requirement for parents. Um, and we changed the age range for children to 5 to 17, sort of to see what, what age range of children might um, be most interested or mo most likely to enroll in this type of study. Um, so in phase two, we're doing something a little bit different, which is mostly focusing on testing physical activity monitoring devices. And um, I'll come back to that in the results. But we decided that this was the, the piece of the intervention that we needed to focus most on um, for moving forward. So it's um, four weeks with three weeks of intervention. The first week is just wearing an accelerometer, um, then an accelerometer plus one of the three devices that we're testing, and it switches each week. So one week is um, just a standard pedometer here. They wear the pedometer with an accelerometer, and they keep um, a, a paper step log. The um, blue one is called the Zamzi, and it has um, a very elaborate website and virtual world, and you plug that. Um, it's like a USB drive. You plug into your computer, and it uploads your data. 
So they'll be using that for one week. And then the final one is a Fitbit, which you wear on your wrist, and it has um, both a website and a mobile app. So we're, we'll be testing things that are worn on the hip um, and um, on the wrist, and then paper, phone, and website. So we'll be able to really get a lot of information about the preference of the families. Um, both, after both of the phases of the intervention, the dyads will go through a structured interview to talk about what they um, liked and wanted to see improved in the, uh, the apps and the devices that they tested, as well as any changes um, that they saw in their family's behaviors and their communication. And we're hoping that this, um, all of the information will help us inform both future app development and um, possibly future testing of commercial devices and apps. Um, so this is an overview of the measurements that we're collecting right now, but it's a mixture of self-report and objective data from um, accelerometry. And um, the participants are completing a questionnaire at the beginning and end of the study, and we're also collecting their heights and weights in the clinic. So these are some preliminary results from phase one. Again, we had one dyad, so um, it's very descriptive, the information. One thing that you, um, you might, there was some increase in um, social support, it looks like, especially for the child, they moved in one category of um, offering to participate in physical activity that their family was more likely to offer um, physical activity support. And the parents said that they were getting more social support from their family for healthy eating, but um, not huge changes. This family seemed to have a lot, um, a lot of support in place reported at the at baseline. Um, one thing that we did notice is that it appeared just from preliminary results that physical activity may have declined from the um, baseline to the post program, but um, looking a little further into the data, it looks like we had pretty bad compliance on the accelerometry at post program, so um, that, must, that may have um, impacted our results. And I'm still looking into some of the data from the IBITS units that they wore throughout the study to get a better picture. But one thing I wanted to note was this, these are screenshots of their um, activity during week three of the intervention. And it's kind of hard to see exactly, but um, the average steps for the child were 7,700 and the parent 6,600. But you can see that there was some, there were pretty dramatic day-to-day um, -day changes. So a lot of um, intrapersonal variation, which um, could really impact the, the, what you get when you look at seven days of data. So um, again, I need to look more into all of this. In terms of the results of the structured interview from phase one, um, the, the child, I was very surprised, but he really enjoyed the iBits app, which I showed you was that rocket ship. And I thought that it was a very simplistic app that he, it would lose his attention, but he was very motivated by watching the rocket move, um, by the, the uh, rewards that his mom would set for him. And the one thing that he wanted was a graph of, so he could see his progress, which also was surprising. I, I didn't really expect that a nine-year-old would request more graphs, but that's definitely something that we can provide in the future. So that's a pretty easy fix. 
Um, he also really liked the NFL Play 60, which is the one where the football player chases you. <laughs> um, and his mom said that he would run around the house and get really sweaty um, to get more steps using the, that, that app. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so one thing that they, the, both the parent and child reported was that they really did not like um, the healthy eating apps. And so that really seems like a huge um, area that needs improvement. I mentioned the Smasher Food. That was one of the apps that received a high, a high ranking in our content analysis of apps. But um, it doesn't do anything to record your food or give you feedback or set goals. So I think that's a really big area where more development is needed. And that was partially why we focused just on the physical activity for phase two. Um, in the structured interview, we also um, heard some feedback that maybe um, that physical activity was more on their minds. So wearing the devices and, and watching the apps um, had really impacted how much of a, a conscious focal point physical activity had become in their family. And they also told a really great story about starting to use the Easy Eater app and the first day um, the child was really, he is always very picky about eating fruits and vegetables, especially apples. They have to be peeled and cut in a very specific way for him to eat them. But they started playing the app and he ran into the kitchen, grabbed an apple and bit into it and started eating it. And his mom said that she's never seen that before and that... <laughs> <laughs> the, the competition and the family and getting points for it actually was very motivating. So, so um, for phase two, the dyads are currently in week two of the intervention, so the final results are forthcoming. Um, they, these are some preliminary results based on averages, and um, one thing is that based on the, um, the data that we got back from phase one, um, I've been much more um, vigilant about the accelerometer instructions and checking in with them, and it seems like we have much better compliance, which is important because they'll be wearing them continuously for a month, which is not very fun if you've ever worn an accelerometer. It's not really something there on like a big belt, and it's not very fun. So I think from, the, from what we know so far, it's going well. So um, overall, there's... Um, definitely a need for improvement in um, the existing commercially available apps, as I mentioned, especially for healthy eating. Um, and uh, hopefully our qualitative observations, both from phase one and from phase two, will help us to provide some more concrete suggestions about where future development might lead us. And uh, additionally, phase two will provide us with some validity data um, for the physical activity monitoring devices. We do have a small N, but um, there's not really anything reported about most of the devices that we're using. So anything that we can add will be um, a new contribution to the literature. So overall, um, recruitment was definitely one of the biggest challenges that we had um, in this study and will be a challenge moving forward um, there also is a high turnover of apps in the commercially, um, the commercially available apps. So one thing that, we, uh, that happened was there was an app that I had on the list to assign, and from the time that I had looked at it, reviewed it, put it on the list, and then given it to the participants, one of the apps had disappeared. 
So that's something that can happen where developers, or if it's um, based on a research grant and the grant ends, then they don't want to fund it anymore. The apps can disappear. So it's just something that when you're not the controller of the app, that's something that you, will, you could face in this type of research. Um, and as is true, using any type of device, we had some device malfunction um, with the iBits. Um, some of it based on the units where they just would stop syncing and then one w went through the washing machine, so we lost that data. So <laughs> those types of things um, definitely can happen. But I do think that the, the potential um, of using these technologies and apps definitely outweighs the challenges and the difficulty of, of getting people to participate in these studies. And I think one of the most remarkable things to me about this study was that the family um, in phase one were very, very busy. Um, the, they had very, the, the parents, both of the parents and the family had very busy work schedules. There were more children than the one who was participating. And it was hard to schedule appointments, but their engagement throughout the intervention was very high. And they um, really were using the technologies and testing them out. And so they were finding time um, at home and whenever they had the time and they were willing to engage with the intervention even when coming face to face was difficult. So I think the remotely delivered aspect of the intervention was very appealing in that sense. So um, I hope that more pilot testing and um, efficacy trials can be done to really look at the effectiveness of these commercially available apps because there's still a lot left that we don't know. And I would like to acknowledge my collaborators, two of whom are here today, and uh, thank the Office of Research for um, a SPARC grant which helped to support this research. All right, thank you. Well. <laughs> is that a, is that a question? Hey, with recruitment being such a challenge, yes. How do you, how do you really test some of these out and really get some really good data. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I at a conference last week, I went to a talk by um, a man who did his dissertation work using a Facebook intervention, and I have a phone call scheduled with him to discuss. Um, how he recruited and retained participants. And I mean, obviously, when you see this, the end product, you always have some ideas about what you might have done to, to run that type of study. But he successfully ran an intervention with 21 um, adolescents. It was remotely delivered. And he had accelerometer data for the control and intervention conditions. So um, I think one option might be to go completely remote. Um, I'm not sure if that's the direction that I'll go, but it, it is something to at least think about. So I'm also thinking about with both of the apps presented, um, the idea of gaming being very incentivizing, mm -hmm. particularly to children, but to adults too. I mean, if we look at what adults are usually doing on their phone, you know, it's their playing games. Like mm -hmm. they're not, you know, as interested in what we want them to be interested in. Mm -hmm. So, you know, how do we build that in and I'm, I, I don't understand why more developers aren't trying to, to do that. You know, I'm thinking of my kids when they were playing, game, playing games on my phone. 
if it all of a sudden came up and said you can earn more coins or whatever you need for your game if you get up and do 10 jumping jacks or wave your hands in the air with a, you would do it. Like, uh -huh. you know, so, it just, you know, how can, how can we get more um, gaming and also goal setting? So in mm -hmm. the study that we're doing right now, that was the other thing that um, participants were saying that they wanted is that they wanted to be able to set goals. Mm -hmm. Well, definitely in the nutrition area, um, that was one of, I mean, those are two things that were really lacking from the apps um, and something that the, the families requested. So there was no way to really see your progress um, even in the Easy Eater app, which does have some gaming elements. Um, you can win virtual points and sort of change the outfit of your avatar or get a cooler animal or those kinds of things. So that was really the extent of it. So I think um, I don't even really think it needs to be that complicated given the deficiency in what's currently available um, as somewhere to start. Um, another thing that I think is using both goal setting and gamification to uh, encourage the family as a unit to do things. So another thing that arose was um, parents describing that they know that their child's not being active enough and they know they're not getting enough activity at, at school, but they'll take them to the park after, after school so the kids can run around and get their activity and then the, the parent just sits in the car. And so they're not getting any more activity, but the children are. And so finding ways to incentivize family activity um, where possible, I think could be a, a very beneficial thing. Eric Heckler is doing some of that right now, yeah, and he um, he's a researcher at Arizona State. He's been looking at a variety of these commercially available devices. Um, with preliminary investigation, it looks like the Fitbit, it does very well, um, and the jawbone is kind of useless. So that, I mean, but the, the thing to note is that that also is only an adult, so um, yeah, so there's there's nothing about with children to test these devices. Um, yeah. I have the old one that has a flower that grows. And my kids love this flower. And they're like, oh, your flower's not very good. I guess I'm just still struck by your recruitment. Yeah. I just, I don't understand it. Mm -hmm. I think I think there are a couple of pieces. I think um, this is a really difficult group to get to come in together. So um, 
in both of the studies, we require that they, in both phases, we've required that they come together, at least for the baseline and the final appointment. For this study, the phase two, I have to meet week to week to give them the new devices. Um, so. I wonder if just, I mean, from a recruitment perspective, mm -hmm. you could just focus on the parents. Yeah. And have them show the child. Mm -hmm. It does seem like they have the whole complexity. To, yeah. You know, especially if they're working, mm -hmm. they have to kind of, Yeah. challenging to pick up a child. Yes. I think, um, I mean, phase two has actually been very, um, enlightening in that respect because we opened up so much of the the criteria but actually in the end yeah we yeah we thought the iPhone the overweight piece in the end though both of the families would actually qualify for phase one who are in phase two so their children are in the right age range the parents are in the right weight range and they, one has an iPad, one has an iPhone. So they could have participated. So it, I think that it is something about um, the, I mean, the timing, the, all of it. Um, I, I'm definitely, I don't think that it's worth giving up yet, but I'm gonna have to be creative about how I market it and what venues I take, as well as giving it ample time. Um, yeah. And I even wonder just like the nature of the recruitment messages, um, you know, if it, it just seems like it's not this hard to recruit adults into study. Yeah. And if it could be like adults with families, but maybe not so family. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. It's really going to be the, I mean, you do talk about the bi-directional influence. Yeah. Probably with younger kids, it is going to be the parents mm -hmm. motivated to get their Mm -hmm. Well, at least maybe having them be the intervention point, but measuring, because I have heard from all of the families, the child is more active on some days and maybe taunting slightly the parent to encourage them to get more active. So. That's the advantage of having some of these technologies, is, mm -hmm. especially for what you're doing, some things you couldn't yeah. Yep. Well, especially with this, if you determine which device you want to use, they're not going to have to come back every week to give them. Yes. Yep. Yeah. But you know. Oh, go ahead. No, no. I, I was just going to say. Yeah. Know, we get in our weight loss studies for adults, or mm -hmm. like 40s, early 50s. They're not parents with kids. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and so it's mm -hmm. these, you know people in their early mid 30s. Mm-hmm. So what kind of incentives do we do they have any incentives to join this um, this program? Like yes, there's a, a small monetary um, gift at the end of the study. Yeah. Um, but I mean that is that's not a, that's not a motivational factor enough. I guess it's not enough, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I noticed there was this energy balance and it was very popular and I thought a lot of people did show up for mm -hmm. I still had trouble getting people in, I think, with $100 incentives. Like, some people, you know, it's at a certain age, like age or race, so it's like whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, didn't your phase one diet, the mom gave her incentive to the... 
Yes, yeah. When they joined, she said, he's going to get all the money when they when we finish. And that day, like, there was a book drive, and she handed him the cash, and they went to the school to buy books. So, yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Can I write a children's story for my dissertation? <laughs> Did you have a question? I previously uh-huh mhm yeah I mean that's a great idea i for this pilot study, I did not try to partner with really any existing resources because I thought that it wouldn't be so difficult to recruit. So um, I think moving forward, I'm definitely gonna need to work more within some of the existing structures in the community. Um, but if you have contacts at the museum, I, that would be great, yeah, thank you. <laughs> what are the, like, when you look at Fitban and uh, Fitbit, and everything, all the other devices, do they have like similar like statistics that show up, similar metrics that come up, or is it just some something better than the other? That's a great question. Um, for uh, for for pedometers, those are just it only shows steps, and it will calculate them into distance based on the stride length that you enter in yourself. Um, for the ZAMZ, which is the one, the blue one, they have their own formula that they've derived to. Um, show uh, at moderate to vigorous physical activity, so MVPA, which is often targeted in physical activity interventions. Um, they also show um, metrics about your progress in relation to your previous physical activity level, so you are rewarded no matter where you are objectively. If you're improving, you're, you get rewards um, based on their systems. The iBits, the little green one, just shows you steps um, and then the, um, and it also will show you minutes of vigorous walking, so based on the pace of your walking. And then the Fitbit will show you um, your steps, distance, time, um, and then some levels of intensity um, when you look at different graphs. And with the Fitbit, you're also able to um, and manually enter other activity or tell it what you were doing to kind of get more credit. So it doesn't do a good job picking up um, bicycling, for instance, but you can enter in the minutes of bicycling you were doing, and it will um, add that to your all your totals. And that one doesn't do steps anymore? The Fitbit? Yeah, it does steps, yeah. I mean, not steps, stairs. No. Stairs? Mm-mm. No. You get the same credit for... Oh. Forks, which is off the market right now, but it should be coming back on. Yeah. <laughs> it does stuff. Okay. Cool. All right. Thank you so much. <laughs>